The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. The Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello and welcome to The Freeman Report, which puts the world's leading scientists, doctors and politicians right at the centre of today's news talk and our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. I'm your host, James Freeman, and on today's Freeman Report, we will be discussing excess deaths after a new research um, as report has been published yesterday by scientists from Oxford University that concluded that 2023 was the deadliest non-pandemic year for excess deaths since the Second World War. We'll also be hearing about allegations that the Scottish National Party is undermining the Scottish COVID inquiry by ensuring that lawyers who are supposed to be holding the government to account are in fact friends of the SNP leadership. Now, my first guest today is a world-leading cardiologist and an expert in the causes of heart disease and heart-related illnesses. He is outspoken on the COVID injections and has spent the past two years travelling the world to raise the alarm within the medical establishment. I've worked closely with him over the past two years on various announcements after he lost his father to the COVID injections. I am, of course, talking about Dr. Asim Maholtra. My second guest is retired oil production technician, Bill Jolly, who until recently was due to give evidence to the Scottish COVID inquiry. However, after raising what he thought were serious conflicts of interest involving the leader of the SNP, Hamza Yousaf, um, Bill was dropped from the inquiry with no explanation and no right of appeal. Now, I spoke with Bill on Friday and what his story points to is an attempt by the leadership of the SNP to ensure that they, the government, get an easy ride. No surprise there, I guess, as politicians never like being held to account. But that's part of the role of being in government. And when they attempt to pull the wool over the public's eyes, well, then we should all sit up and listen. The COVID inquiries in Westminster and Edinburgh have both been, in my opinion, a total waste of public money to date and have done nothing to ask the real questions people want answers to. Instead, what we have seen is an attempt to distract the public with stories of he said, she said and tales of political incompetence. And of course, we learned last week that one of the most important areas of the whole affair, the COVID injections, has now been dropped from the UK inquiry scheduled for this year, with no indication of when it will be covered. We haven't been given a substantive reason for why the injections were dropped from the schedule, but many, including my first guest, Dr. Asim Maholtra, believe it is because wider government knows that excess deaths are being driven, at least in part, by the COVID injections. If he is correct, and I believe he is, and that's not just on a whim, I've got evidence which makes me think 
that wider government now do know that, then this shows a shocking contempt for the general public who the government is supposed to serve. It also consolidates lessons that we've learned from the recent post office scandal and the long-standing contaminated blood scandal. That government and the wider House of Commons will only act in the interests of the public in matters where it is at fault if there is no other option available to them. They will, in essence, avoid accountability at all costs. Gone are the days when one party would hold the House to account, because as many of us now know, they all work for the same global interests. Kicking the can down the road, kicking things into the long grass and ignoring things entirely. These are the political tactics that they use. If something looks bad, they announce an inquiry that will take years to complete. It will line the pockets of the legal system and answer all of the questions except the very ones we want answers to. Will they be successful in consigning the COVID injections to the same treatment? Or will the growing noise coming from a small number of MPs be enough to ensure that the government is forced to admit that something terrible has happened? I don't know the answer to that question, despite spending much of the past two years trying to achieve it. More recently, I've become very doubtful that we'll ever see the public told the truth. However, maybe my change of mind has been premature. On Tuesday this week, we will see a debate on excess deaths in Parliament's Westminster Hall, led by Andrew Bridgen. And I know what you're thinking, nobody's going to attend. But this time is different because 17 other MPs have also put their signatures to the request to get a formal debate. So maybe, just maybe, we will see the truth starting to be reported. And maybe justice will be done for what took place. So stay tuned for all of that in a moment. On tomorrow's show, we will once again be talking about COVID and the injections as I welcome Dr. Shiva to the Freeman Report for the first time. Dr. Shiva was a leading voice who criticised the conclusions made by Steve Kirsch and others on the leaked injection data from New Zealand. So I've got loads of questions for him on that tomorrow. Then on Wednesday, I'll be joined once again by Dr. Gilbert Doctorow, who will give us an update on the conflicts in Ukraine and the Middle East, and also educate us on the geopolitical situation um, in the Middle East and beyond, and how Russia is allied with many of the regional players in the Middle East that could escalate the conflict. If you want to get in touch, then as always, email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And if you want to join in the conversation, get yourself over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Hello, Gemma. How are you doing? 
Hello, James. Nice editorial there. And you're quite right. Governments only uh, act when it's really blatantly obvious, staring you in the face and shouting at you. There is no other option. We have to be seen to do the right thing. Otherwise, accountability thing of the past, isn't it? Thing of the past. And as you rightly say, there's no opposition party anymore. Nobody holds the government to account. It's a law unto itself. But we are rising up and we're fighting back as the events of the last few weeks with the post office scandal have have shown, you know, people have not given up that fight for nearly 20 years. And finally, it looks like they've turned a corner. Yeah. And the funny thing is, even if they're caught red handed, which I think there's enough evidence to say that they have now in terms of what actually happened. You know, they're literally there, they've got their hands on the gold or whatever it is, and that Scooby-Doo moment. But even then, they will still try and bury it, bury it, bury the story. Um, they only act um, in their own self-interest. And, you know, accountability is a foreign word, I think, in the House of Commons. But this is what makes shows like this and um, TNT as a station so important because we're not going to let them do that. Absolutely. And funnily enough, though, accountability is exactly the, the story I'm going to talk about now. And it, it is really upsetting. It was upsetting at the time when it came out. Um, but this report that's out today into Greater Manchester Police is a result of a six year investigation. And it does have echoes, actually, of the post office scandal. But this is, of course, the story about the, the paedophile ring in Rochdale in Greater Manchester in the northwest of England. Um, they were grooming young, vulnerable girls as young as 12, a gang of Asian men. And the report that's out today Day, uh, says that there were systemic failings in the police and at least 96 men are still a potential risk out on the loose in the community, a potential risk to young children. Uh, the report is full of a litany uh, of failures stretching from 2004 when uh, these, uh, these allegations of widespread child abuse and an organised crime ring started to get made and whistleblowers started coming forward. That was 2004 and the report spans to 2013. So it's a, it's a huge amount of time they've looked into where children were being abused more than 100 children, a lot of whom were in care. Uh, most of them were white young girls come from very poor, dysfunctional backgrounds, and they were groomed and they, they were raped. It's a very distressing, horrible story. Gang rapes, gang rapes above takeaway shops in uh, in the UK, in in the, in the Rochdale area. Um, what, this, what this report says is there were multiple failings, a widespread indifference by the authorities. So the girls were reporting these crimes and were just being ignored. Um, and, and police were urged to take up the case. One, one woman, she resigned from the Greater Manchester Police in disgust, Maggie Oliver. She was a former inspector. She's now gone on to form her own foundation for childhood, for adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Uh, she says that through her her foundation, the work that she's doing now, she says it doesn't matter what this report says today because the police are saying lessons have been learned. She's saying with her ear to the ground in that part of the UK, the problems are still going on now and nothing has changed. What she means by that, the inference is there are still paedophile gangs operating. Uh, the question needs to be asked, I think, why the police and local authorities who were, who were the wards of care for these girls, the local authorities, a lot of them, they were either under the care of social services and were getting home visits or a lot of them were in care homes all run by local authorities. The indifference and the reluctance by the police and the local authorities to pursue their claims or investigate, it, it does beg the question, were there people further up the food chain that were possibly involved with this? And it wasn't just gangs of Asian men, but it went deeper into the fabric of our society because we all know that that is definitely 
a possibility. So it's a 173-page report. It's out today. It paints a very poor picture of Greater Manchester Police. And unfortunately, it paints a very poor picture of where we are today in, in, in the world of organised crime and child abuse, which allegedly to Maggie Oliver, the former inspector, it's still ongoing. It's still, and nothing has changed. So let's hope they do get some kind of justice. At least this report is out uh, but it does show, just like the post office, how the little people at the bottom, literally in this case, ignored, 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 while all of these heinous things were going on. Yeah, and I, um, I'll um, pick up on something you said then. I know why you were saying it, because you were talking about the report, but you said, you know, were there people um, further up the food chain that were responsible for burying all of this? Um, I would change that word to, are there people in higher because it's still going on this is still going on it's still being suppressed obviously we've heard several reports now um over the past few years and one of the questions that i've got is um you know is this the reason that tommy robinson is so um disliked by the government because he i would suggest out of all journalists is the one that's probably been jumping up um up and down most about this in recent years um he's done lots of his own in in investigations where he's actually gone and investigated these stories he's helped some of the victims um so i think i'm gonna probably speak to johnny later today and see if i can get him on the show later this week uh, because i'm sure that he's got something to say about another report into this no action no action still but another report telling us of all the heinous things going on so yeah i'll um johnny if you're watching i'll be in touch later this afternoon to see if you can come on later this week I think it's Tommy, not Johnny. <laughs> you said Johnny Robinson. There. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's not watching this, but Tommy, if you're watching this, apologies there. Yeah, no, Tommy Robinson, of course. Um, yeah, I'll be in touch later this week to get you on the show. Yeah, Slip I mean, it is... It, it, yeah, it's a Monday. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. But I mean, it is. It is. It is. There were a depressing read, and it's taken six years for this report to come to the fore. Uh, within which the six years, if it's still been going on, then it's still been going on for six years, and it's still ongoing now. And it is a white. It's a whitewash, isn't it? And the police are saying, "Oh, lessons yeah. have been learned." You know, what lessons are they? Just how to do the same thing over and over again. Um, it, it does smack of somewhere. There's a conspiracy of silence and this. And my heart goes out to all the young children, girls, uh, especially victims of this because it's lives it is lives ruined unless you've got really the, the courage and the fortitude to face your demons and 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 try and take some kind of trauma therapy yeah and it does have all of the failures um on it that we saw during the jimmy savile scandal as well of of you know our institutions failing to safeguard children um and in this case actually covering up just like in in, in jimmy savile's um case so yeah it, it this is a, a scandal and again i think parliament um, on many things recently has failed us on this and you know there's probably political reasons why they're trying their best to ignore this just like the blood scandal which was down to the fault of the government at the time and also um obviously the post office scandal which has only come out because of an itv drama which is absolutely scandalous it does make me think that you know do we need well it's a silly question do we need another pillar in our democracy that holds the government to account well that is us isn't it that is us um unfortunately though the mainstream media has um ignored 
their role um, in recent years. They don't hold the government to account. So um, it's left to stations like TNT to try and get the truth out. Um, thank you very much for that story, Gemma. As I said, I will be in touch with Tommy um, later today to see if I can get him on the show. So we will follow up on this, um, this story later this week. Right, okay, don't go anywhere. Stick with me, James Freeman, because in a second, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Asim Maholtra right here on today's News Talk TNT. TNT Radio's Kate Shamarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And, and I... I, I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them. Don't get all excited. But I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying. And it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like. And your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. becoming a police state. Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. If you're still wearing a cloth or a surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right. Well, my next guest is somebody that I've worked with quite closely um, over the past um, couple of years at times. Um, and I was looking this morning, Asim, um, when you were last on the show. Can you believe it was May? Um, I don't know where 2023 has gone, Asim. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, it has been a while. I think it was just before my uh, speaking tour of Australia. 
Yeah, of course, of course, yes. We were advertising um, your tour there. Um, so, Asim, welcome to the Freeman Report once again. Obviously, we're full video now, um, not just audio. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the show. Um, Asim, what have you been up to since May? Because I keep on seeing stories. You're flying around all the world trying to raise the alarm with the medical establishment. Yeah, so uh, I have been doing pretty much the same thing, James, just uh, trying to spread the word and the message uh, to help people understand really the root cause of the health crisis around the world. Um, there has been obviously emphasis on my concerns regarding the COVID mRNA vaccines as well. And it's taken me to Australia since we last spoke to New Zealand. Um, I've spoken in, in, in Ibiza. I've spoken um, in Thailand, you know, so, uh, uh, and even the United States, I recently did a a speaking event with Robert Kennedy Jr. as well. So it's uh, an ongoing process as, uh, to spread the truth, disseminate the truth. And uh, I think we're getting there slowly. <laughs> yeah, and that was going to be my first question, Nassim, because um, I remember we, we first met each other back at the start of 2022 when we did that interview. And every time I've seen you since then, um, whether it's two weeks later or a month later or, or six months later, I always ask you the same question. Do you think we're going to break the truth to the mainstream? Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I think it's happening slowly, actually, James. Of course, as you remember, you know, almost a year ago, just over a year ago, uh, we had the so-called, what I described my lectures as a, a V for Vendetta moment on the BBC, um, where through my own analysis suggested that a likely contributory factor to the excess deaths that was part of the discussion was a COVID mRNA vaccine. And that uh, you know, the the amount of reach that got was pretty extraordinary. I mean, I think it's on Twitter alone, it's about 24 million views. And there was an article written suggesting that it had as much, um, it may have had as many, you know, for a BBC segment, as many views as the, uh, uh, as much interest as the Queen's funeral. So that at least tells you there's a lot of interest out there. And I think the message is spreading. And then, of course, there have been snippets here and there in the mainstream. I mean, I think you know, the Sunday Express, of course, did an article, as you know, a couple of days ago uh, around this recent analysis done by uh, Carl Hennigan and Tom Jefferson from the Center of Evidence-Based Medicine on Excess Deaths. And again, you know, they were able to sneak in. I mean, I have to use those words, uh, you know, a suggestion that the COVID mRNA vaccine could be involved because uh, I've spoken to many journalists um, and even people who are very senior in newspapers, and they themselves almost feel to be honest, afraid to mention it, even though they've got their own concerns. So there's obviously something much bigger at play going on here. Yeah, now that this new research, which was published yesterday, actually, that was reported in the Daily Express on Saturday, um, it obviously looks at excess deaths. The main conclusions are that this is last year was the deadliest year, non-pandemic year, I should say, um, since the Second World War for excess deaths. Um, and the leading um, uh, sort of cause, as they put it, of these excess deaths is heart problems. Now, Asim, um, obviously you're a leading cardiologist, but you're a world-leading expert on the causes of heart disease and heart attacks and whatever. What what do you, first of all, tell us what's in this report, what it actually says, and then give us your take on what you think the significance is of this report. Yeah, so the excess deaths above average, what would be expected pre-pandemic is around 53,000 deaths last year, which is, you know, just over 1,000 deaths per week. And when, when Carl Hennigan uh, has broken that down, the, the most common or the most predominant causes of the excess deaths are essentially conditions related to the heart, 
which include ischemic heart disease, which is what's related to heart attack, um, strokes, and heart failure. So, you know, that makes up the largest proportion of what causes the excess deaths. And that's not surprising in general when you have excess deaths in all sorts of different circumstances. It tends to be issues related to the heart and the brain. Obviously, my uh, area of interest and expertise for many, many years has been to try to get to the root causes of heart disease and then offer solutions. And when one looks at that separate to coming into what's more recently been looked at, uh, analyzed, you know, heart disease, 80% of heart disease is really related to unhealthy exposures. What does that mean? It means poor diet. It means uh, chronic stress. It means uh, smoking. Um, and of course, sedentary lifestyles, which are, are exacerbated by the environment. So when you put all those together, that really makes up the bulk of, of in general, what causes uh, the root, what is to the root of heart disease. But when you look at what's happened uh, since the pandemic, James, you know, you have to look at all of the evidence and the quality of evidence and then try and, if you can, you know, put a hierarchy of what are the causes behind uh, the excess deaths. And for me, it's very clear with the evidence we have at the moment, the most, the highest level of evidence really suggests that probably at the top of that list, I think, until proven otherwise, I would say uh, has to be the COVID mRNA vaccines. And that's based upon what we call uh, we've um just lost a seam just high for a quality second. sorry you we lost you there just for a second um you were yeah. basically saying that this is um based upon um what we know you were saying that until proven otherwise um you yes. think it's so multi injections yeah so and that's based it's not speculative it's based upon multiple levels of evidence so randomized control trial data that's a reanalysis of pfizer and moderna's own trial on the co on the mrna vaccines uh, by independent scientists, high quality observational data. Uh, the best data that from that comes from Israel by Retsev Levy and, and colleagues, um, showing that there was a very clear association with the COVID mRNA vaccines and um, uh, heart attacks and cardiac arrest and cardiac death, uh, which is a 25% increase, highest interestingly in the in the age group between say 18 and 40, which is obviously very troubling, which was not associated with COVID. And then you've got what we call pharmacovigilance data, which is your VAERS in America or your yellow card reporting scheme. You've got autopsy data. You've got a plausible biological mechanism. You know, the, the, the vaccine seems to be causing inflammation in many tissues in the body, including the heart, that can last for several months that either causes direct toxic effect to those tissues, including the myocardium and the coronary arteries, or an autoimmune effect. Um, and of course, clinical data, and that's even from my own experience managing patients. So when you put it all together, it's pretty overwhelming. And of course, other things have, will be playing a role. There's no doubt, you know, people's diets got yeah. a bit worse during lockdown, of course. But again, this is all anecdotal speculative stuff. It's not been really demonstrated in any sort of clinical studies. You've got the fact that we yeah, of course, lockdown and stress, of course, probably would have gone up. And I'm sure that would have played a role. But um, when you put it all together, and, and people have also, I mean, let's just address this as well. People keep mentioning COVID. Now, does COVID increase the risk of heart attack? Could this be behind it? And the answer to that is possibly, but there is already been an analysis on this, sort of a systematic review published in one of the cardi eminent cardiology journals in early 2023. And I'm just going to break, I'm a numbers person, so I'll break it down for you. And when they looked at people, so most of this risk of heart disease or heart attacks after COVID is in people who are hospitalized. And when they looked at that, the people who recovered from COVID and came out of hospital, the risk over a year 
was about 1 in 285. Now, it's interesting in that paper, we know that any infection can put strain on the heart and can increase the risk of heart attacks, James. But they said it was less than pneumonia. So it doesn't seem to be any more lethal than any other respiratory infection. So I think this is this link is there, but it's small. And Carl Hennigan himself, in his own report of excess death, says we cannot explain these down to COVID. Yeah, exactly. And I think the government has made lots of speculations, haven't they? Statins being one, you know, less people being on statins. Well, Carl Hennigan himself did some from Oxford University, did some research which um, totally um, proved that that wasn't the case. And of course, we've heard stories from the government about ambulance delays and all this kind of thing. But that doesn't explain why people who shouldn't be having heart attacks in their 20s and 30s and 40s um, are suddenly having them. They might be dying because the ambulance is not getting there quick enough, but it doesn't explain why that's happening in the first place. Right, I see we're going to take a quick break for the news. Very, very quickly, yeah. After that, yeah. Okay, all right, we'll take a quick break now, Racine, but hold on to that thought, and we'll be back in just a second here on TNT. TNT Radio News. Bring the news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel continues to sow terror among the trapped population in Gaza more than 100 days after invading the besieged territory. Voters in Taiwan have shrugged off warnings from Beijing and re-elected the island's ruling party, which rejects China's territorial claims. And after sending nearly $19 billion worth of military aid to Ukraine, Germany has conceded it has no idea where the weapons have ended up. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Asim, um, that thought that you were um, trying to get out just before the break there, carry on. Yeah, just to reiterate, so as far as I'm concerned, according to the totality of evidence, the primary culprit behind the excess deaths needs to be the COVID mRNA vaccines until proven otherwise. And any failure to acknowledge that, James, in my view, is either down to ignorance, willful blindness, or those that lack a conscience. And on that note, you know, um, we've got this excess death debate taking place in Westminster Hall tomorrow, which I'm going to. Um, and I also believe in the power of conversations, of dialogue. I also believe most people are intrinsically good and they want to do the right thing. You know, an acknowledgement for what's actually happened, we've got to have empathy for many people who still aren't, you know, enlightened yet, is it's quite emotionally traumatic for a lot of people. Uh, but my job as a doctor, my duties to patients, to scientific integrity, and people in positions of power need to be able to stand up and have the courage to speak out and say, I've got concerns. And I'll just give you, I've now spoken to two former conservative party ministers one-on-one -on -one. have had lots of time with both of these people i won't name them because i want to protect their confidentiality for obvious reasons but through those conversations one there was an acknowledgement that the covid mrna vaccines of course a big problem and are probably a big factor behind the excess deaths but the second issue james is this one of those ministers said to me asim accepting what i've said um there's a big problem with getting this out before the general election because this essentially may collapse the government. I mean, they, they, you know, one of the prides of this particular government has been the rollout of the vaccine. And interestingly, as you know, James, only a few days ago, the BBC reported on the fact that during the COVID inquiry, a decision has been made that any concerns and issues related yeah. to the COVID vaccine, specifically with heart issues, 
is going to only occur after the general election. That tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, I mean, actually, Asim, I'm glad you said that because that was actually going to be my next question because I did see a post from you recently. Um, I think it was actually um, uh, announcing the fact that the um, the injections themselves, um, the inquiry has dropped that for this year on the schedule. Um, I was going to ask you if you think that wider government is now um, aware of that. Um, I think they are, and I, I know you do too. So let's talk about this debate which is going to happen in parliament tomorrow in westminster hall um we know that 17 other mps have put their name to this so it's not um going to be a repeat of previous debates where nobody has turned up i'm assuming that at least those 17 mps um will turn up what are you hoping for tomorrow's debate Asim? Well, I think it's just another opportunity, James, to reinforce a message about what's happening, what the concerns are, what the evidence is. Uh, from my perspective, you know, a huge injustice has occurred and continues to occur where the British people are not getting the whole truth about what's happened around the rollout of the vaccine, but in particular, understanding the system failures that led to this happening in the first place. And, uh, you know, it's going to be aired on BBC Parliament. Andrew Bridgen, I think, is opening the debate. And he'll be talking for at least 15 to 20 minutes. And hopefully we'll get greater clarity and greater awareness because ultimately, you know, huge injustice has occurred. And, and the way to combat this is make the injustice visible. And that's yeah, what will happen I mean, tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you know, do you think that, I mean, like I said, I think we both agree that we believe that wider government um is now aware that the you know the injections at least in part are driving excess deaths as you said there will be other factors yes. as well um you of know course. but this is a really really important question because government was instrumental in pushing this on the whole population um do you think wider parliament knows this this question is it being talked about because you speak to as you've already indicated you speak to many mps and people close to parliament Yes, I think there is, James. But again, I think there's a combination of different psychological factors for people. One is if you've had the vaccine yourself, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, that is probably sometimes a barrier, I think, for people acknowledging the truth, because, of course, that then sends them down a rabbit hole of being worried for themselves. And they'd rather just bury their heads in the sand and not think about it to some degree. Um, acknowledging it fully also means that they then have to act they have to sleep at night. So I think a lot of the uh, the barriers to this getting out or people acting upon it are partly because of that psychological barrier. But I think some of it also is the fact that, um, you know, many of these politicians themselves are fearful of the uh, uh, of these big corporations and the press and the, the media that a lot of the media that they control. And uh, that's why it needs a collective effort. I've said this on a previous interview, this big problem ultimately is rooted in the fact that these big corporations, big pharma, big food, you know, have got increasingly, have had increasingly unchecked power over the last few decades because of an economic system that is unjust, that is based upon undemocratic, unscientific, unethical laws that allows them to market and promote uh, and sell products with which are often very, very harmful and where you are getting a misleading view of their benefits and there's lack of informed consent. So, that's how they exert their power and that's how they've got so much control and uh, and they lobby politicians who you know unwittingly think that the information they're getting from these lobbyists is complete and then suddenly you create a situation as we've seen with the pandemic where 
you know, these people are so um, indoctrinated, uh, fueled also by financial reasons, where, you know, you get a situation where, it, which is really quite extraordinary to think back now, is that we're, talk, you know, we are having a discussion, James, about the likelihood that this particular vaccine, based upon the highest level of evidence, probably shouldn't have, achieved, you know, been approved for a single human being in the first place, given the, the rate of serious adverse events. And what actually happened was it wasn't even about that. It went to mandating and coercing and forcing people to have it. Mm. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons that happened is because, and that only happened, you know, a few months after the rollout, the mandates were never part of the discussion at the beginning. We were only supposed to give it to people at high risk. If you look at the, the history of how big pharma operate, I think once those big, those corporations, those pharmaceutical companies knew that it was causing significant harm, it wasn't stopping transmission. That was the time that they uh, lobbied for ministers and politicians to introduce mandates. That's how psychopathic these entities are when they function as businesses. Because, because what that would do is it would shift away as further as possible from potential harm. So it reinforces that it's completely safe, therefore we can mandate it. But also what it does is it tries to remove what we call a control group which means that the less people that are, uh, you know, uh, if, if there's a very small number of people who are, um, you know, unvaccinated, if you like, very small group, then it's very difficult for data to be analyzed properly to show that the vaccine's causing harm. So it's really, unfortunately, you know, it comes across quite sinister. It's not about conspiracy theories or anything like that. It's just the way the system is. And in fact, you know, this something similar happened in a way with Vioxx. Vioxx was an anti-inflammatory drug that was marketed in the late 90s by drug company Merck. Ultimately, Merck paid almost $1 billion in fines because it, they hid data on the fact that it caused increased risk of heart attack, stroke, and death. Uh, probably killed about 60,000 Americans alone in the end. And what was found that when the FDA at the time realized that there was a cardiovascular risk associated with Vioxx when it was being marketed and rolled out, they wrote to Merck and told them to put a black box warning on their packaging. Not only did Merck ignore that, they doubled down on their marketing at that point and actually purchased more reprints from the New England Journal of Medicine, which is the highest impact medical journal in the world. So people need to understand this is actually how the system has been working. But the reason why we've not combated it, uh, James, is, you know, the general population don't know what's happening and they don't even know that they don't know. And what I would say, just to summarize in terms of doctors, people ask about doctors, medical knowledge is under commercial control, but most doctors don't know that. Yeah, no, Asim, um, I know that you, I mean, you know, you you didn't start your activism um, during the COVID pandemic. You've been fighting the pharma machine for many, many years on statins and, and other um, drugs as well. Um, but I think your journey, like me, has led to not just sort of a look at what's going on in the pharmaceutical industry, but the corporation itself, how it's constructed, what its legal responsibilities are. And, you know, I've come to the conclusion that most of the issues around the world that are caused by humans on other humans are actually now responsible, but the corporations are responsible for these problems, whether it's environmental problems, whether it's problems like this, um, where, you know, people are taking unsafe drugs. And if you want to be really sinister and look at it from a very high level, the very people who own the McDonald's chains and all the other fast food places, all of the selling products that do us harm are also invested in then the companies which provide us with the pills, which are supposed to resolve those problems. It is 
such a big problem that it's difficult to know how to solve. But I know that you've looked at this as seen. What, what's your kind of view on that? And have you got any suggestions on how we go about solving that problem? Well, the first thing to say is, I know, James, I know you've interviewed this man. Uh, I think the best scholarly work on this particular area actually is done by law professor Joel Bacan, who wrote a book, um, you know, about 20 odd years ago called The Corporation, you know, about the pathological pursuit of power and money by these corporations. And then a, a more recent one called The New Corporation. And essentially what's pointed out in that um, is the fact that, yes, you're absolutely right, that the big corporations actually have a fiduciary or legal obligation almost demanded upon them to make profit for their shareholders, not to give you the best treatment, you look at big pharma. And that's quite shocking. And But the real scandals, unfortunately, is that those with a responsibility to scientific integrity and patients, medical journals, doctors, and academic institutions collude with those industries for financial gain. But the people that are really calling the shots are those big corporations. And essentially, you know, we use these terms uh, like free market, but actually, you know, free market is really a freedom to deceive market. It's a freedom to manipulate people. It's a freedom to exploit people. What happens it's is, like ability, and that's within the law. so if they exert harm on society, let's say it's a food company that's causing type 2 diabetes, they, sorry. No, we lost you there for a second, but carry on. I, th I think we've got the gist, um, Zim, if you carry yeah. on. So you're talking about So essentially, diabetes. you know, these yeah. companies are almost illegally through their processes, we've allowed them, and they've slowly by stealth over the years, um, added to what we call, you know, they, they forced less regulations upon them. And then there are a machine, they're an entity. I'm not talking about individuals that work there, but the actual legal system, the economic system, almost forces them to be in a situation, and it sounds quite crazy, where they can commit significant harm to the population, and then they will do everything they can to cover it up. And if they end up paying fines, they see it as a cost of business, and they're making more profit from the sales of these harmful product products anyway. Uh, and until we address that at the root, James, these problems are gonna continue, and they're actually only gonna get worse. You know, because it, Joel Bacan describes, describes the corporation as being psychopathic as an institution. And if you think about that as a psychopath or in many ways when it comes to, ex, you know, deaths, whether it's big tobacco or big pharma, you know, you can use also the term potential serial killers. They're not going to stop by their own volition. They have to be stopped. But the people to do it are going to be, you know, awareness from the public. But then it has to be people, policymakers and government. Now, you know, the biggest beneficiaries to the to the the mindset that government is the problem, right? And we need less government is actually big corporations. So what they want is they want us to hate our governments, so there's less regulation upon those big corporations, so they can exert their power. So we need courageous leaders, uh, James. Unfortunately, we need those people to stand up and to actually. They're the people that, you know, these parliamentarians are the ones that can exert the laws to stop these excesses and manipulations. And certainly, as you know, of all the people around the world that I've spoken to politically that has come out and has had the courage to speak out and, and tackle this head on, the one person that stands up by far at the moment for me is Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah, Nassim, um, absolutely brilliant, by the way. And obviously, this is why um, I was so keen to work with you in the first place, because you were talking about this at the start of 2022, not just this is a, a problem of, um, you know, a big mistake by pharma or like some things, a deliberate um, action. You were actually talking about the big picture here um, and about these corporations. Now, do you think, um, Asim, I mean, this, this scandal around the injections and excess deaths if this comes out, I do worry that it'll all be put down to it was a big 
mistake. It was a big failure. And in some respects, it was. Um, yeah. I've got other views as well. But what we don't want to happen, do we, is for this to be put down to that. Uh, what, what are we going to learn from this? Because actually, as we've just discussed there, there is a much, much bigger um, problem afoot here. And it's not just a problem with um, pharmaceuticals. It is a problem with the environment. It's a, a problem with, you know, Western the Western world, really, the corporation. Um, you know, yeah. do you think we can use this as an opportunity when this does emerge to raise that issue? Yeah, I think that we need to reframe the narrative when people think about big corporations. They need to think about them as being enemies of democracy. The way that they exert their power is suppression of information, which is, of course, antithetical to the principles of democracy. And that's where we start from. But if we're talking specifically about more immediate solutions, James, which are important for people to realize and understand to this issue about the vaccine, one of the things that can happen or one thing that should occur as a result of this is, yes, there was a mistake. We understand there was an emergency. There was a fear. There was an exaggerated fear. Things settled down. We can look at things a little bit more, um, you know, dispassionately now with less fears, of course. And that's also been held by the fact that, thankfully, the the COVID uh, virus certainly is 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 really mutated to something which is no worse than a bad cold for the overwhelming majority of people, which is great news. But what needs to be done is, okay, why did this uh, vaccine get approved? Was there a role to play? And of course, I think there was the fact that unfortunately our regulators, you know, uh, around the world, a lot of them get most of their funding from pharma. The FDA gets 65% of its funding from pharma. The MHRA in this country gets 86% of its funding from pharma. So there needs to be, you know, those bodies need to be independent of the pharmaceutical industry. Data that comes out with any drug, you know, needs to be independently verified. Drug companies can develop new drugs and devices, but they shouldn't, shouldn't certainly be allowed to test them and then hold on to the raw data and keep it commercially yeah. confidential. You know, so there are some very clear solutions here, which I think everybody would get behind. You know, the, the public would get behind it. It would be poli a political winner, but it needs those politicians to stand up and not be worried if they get a little bit of a backlash from the press, which is being run or influenced heavily, unfortunately, yeah. by psychopathic entities. Yeah, and I will add to what you said there, because I, I can metaphorically hear my audience screaming at me that this wasn't a mistake. But I, I understand exactly what you're saying there, Seem, because I think a lot of the people that went along with this and enabled it to happen, whether they were doctors, nurses, a lot of the politicians, they didn't know what was going on um, early no. on. They really didn't. Um, I do believe that. I also believe that there are, um, well, Look, you know, Pfizer's own um, trial data um, was manipulated. They knew that this these drugs um, would do harm. So I also believe that there are obviously people in the world who knew what they were doing and they knew that this was going to cause problems. Um, but I do. I just wanted to clarify that, Asim, because like I said, I can hear my audience screaming down, uh, yeah. down, down the camera at me. Yeah, I think at the beginning, James, um, when they developed these vaccines quickly, I think they were they basically fingers crossed hope for the best. But I think, you know, when we look back at and uh, when it all comes out, I'm sure my guess is that those internal documents will reveal that they should have known that it was going to at least should have known it was going to cause harm and it was rolled out. But at the end of the day, they're not interested in that. They're disinterested to make a profit. Yeah. Right. So that's how they function. So. Um, if there was anything more nefarious going on, of course, we will find out in due course. A lot of this is speculation, but I think I always look at it the most rational approach first. 
And we can explain a lot of what's gone wrong just with the failures of the system. And, and, and a lot of people who are suddenly awake to this now getting very angry have been unfortunately asleep or unaware that this has actually been going on for decades. You know, so this yeah. is not actually that new. It's just, it's just had the biggest and worst effect because all of us, either directly or indirectly, have been affected by the vaccine rollout, whether we took it or not, whether it was mandates, whether we couldn't travel. So this has affected the whole yeah. world. And that's why this is our opportunity to really expose failures of the system. But James, I think the other thing to add in, one of the barriers as well is once this is fully exposed, the whole system that currently is currently functioning, the economic, it all collapses. There's a lot more at stake than just a vaccine here. And, uh, and for a lot of yeah. people, their worldview, their ideology is being threatened as well. Right, Asim, I'm going to have to cut you off there. Thank you so much, Asim. And listen, you know, um, I've got absolute respect for the work that you've done. You've been going around um, speaking this message to the medical establishment, and they are really important in this because we do need them, along with the politicians, to understand that these mRNA vaccines have caused an awful lot of problems and they should never, ever have been um, approved in the first place. Asima Holtra, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Right, we're going to take a quick break thank now you. and see if we can get my next guest on. He is Bill Jolly, and he's going to talk all about the Scottish COVID inquiry after this short break. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. Just I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I need to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Why can't I eat, eat, eat apples and bananas? Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community, and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist, and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. 
to everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. This is The Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello and welcome back. Um, sadly, um, our next guest, um, Bill Jolly, um, we've had a few technical issues, so he's not going to come on, but I will try and get him on again because I think his story is really, really important. Obviously, his story is all about how they're essentially, the SNP are trying to stitch up the Scottish COVID inquiry by putting lawyers in place who are personal friends with the leader of the SNP. So we'll definitely cover that story, um, hopefully at some point this week. Um, we've only got three minutes left. So I, there's, there are a few things I want to say, though, um, about Dr. Asim Mahotra, because I know um, there's been debates about him and his stance before. And I can even see people in the live chat here. I'm just reading. So hidden in plain sight, um, the mRNA jab system was designed to harm. They've known this for years and years, registered it as a bioweapon. Yes, I agree with that view. I do. Um, now, I actually don't know whether Asim thinks that or not, but he can come out and say that. And Asim is important, and this is the reason that I have worked with Asim, is because his message is for the medical establishment. I quite often heard over the past couple of years people saying, what's he talking about? Um, you know, he he's not saying it correctly, what has happened. And you know, and everybody's got a different view. And I believe that the, the the injections are a bioweapon and many do believe that. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that was the case. But Asim's message is designed for the medical establishment. Um, he That's what he does when he travels around the world. He goes and speaks to doctors and nurses and he meets up with um, senior people within the medical establishment. So his message is tailored to them. So even if he did think it was a bioweapon and i really don't know that um it would be totally self-destructive for him to say that because nobody in that establishment which is within this bubble of information and misinformation propagated by the corporations nobody would listen to his message and the important thing as far as i'm concerned stage one yes we can have justice at some point but the first task at hand 
is to get people informed that these injections are harming people, to get these injections taken off the market. And then after we achieve that, then we can move on to the next stage. Was it a bioweapon? Who knew about this? And then the justice. So um, I think to those who do give Asim a hard time, um, all I would say is that he is part of the process which is going to bring about um, the change which I've just discussed. So he is important um, in this debate, whether you agree exactly with what he says or not. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's report. Tomorrow, I'll be welcoming Dr. Shiva for another show on the COVID injections and talking about that New Zealand leaked data. So make sure you tune in tomorrow and don't go anywhere. Stick with us right here on TNT. TNT.